This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Welcome to Body Talk. I'm your host, David Lasondek, structural integrator and fascia specialist at the Center for Integrative Medicine at UPMC. And today it is my absolute delight to bring to the show two pioneers and really great friends. They're the directors of the Stretch to Win Institute and the co-founders of Fascial Stretch Therapy, Anne and Chris Frederick. Anne, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you. Okay, so let's just dive right into it. Uh, Most people know what stretching is, but why is stretching controversial in some quarters? Well, um, I think a lot of it stems from in the initial studies in stretching about static stretching where they were looking at the effect of does it reduce injuries initially um, what's his name and uh, Ian uh, there's a researcher it'll come to mind as we speak mm-hmm. but there's a researcher uh, back in 1999 perhaps a little earlier and certainly later Schreier. Um, that what's his name Ian Schreier Ian Schreier had some of the first studies or the, the ones that we saw that talked about um, looking at that analyzed systematic reviews and meta-analysis whenever possible of the effects of stretching. Does, it, does stretching reduce injuries? And in a nutshell, a lot of what he found was negative on stretching reducing injuries. Unfortunately, when, it, when that kind of news gets out into the broad media and press, it comes, uh, the conclusion was more like stretching is just not good. (laughs) I know you have five cats. I'm sure a lot of people listening in the audience right now have pets. And one of the first things pets do when they wake up is they stretch. I don't think they're doing it to prevent injuries. I think they're doing it because it instinctively feels good. So is that something that we've lost because of these studies? That's a good question. Um, I think I've seen cats, since I am a cat owner and I observe them often, they usually, like some researchers or people like to say that they just stretch once and they're good for the day, but that's not true. They stretch actually throughout the day. And um, yes, they can just get up from a nap and run after that rabbit without stretching. They don't do a dynamic preparatory stretch (laughs) before they run after the prey. And they don't, uh, you know, they're not in pain from not doing that later. Mm-hmm. Well, there's not like really competitive rabbit hunting <laughs> around here. There is. Okay. Well, you got a lot. So I think uh, we can talk a little bit more about perhaps why they stretch, why we all have that feeling like we need to stretch, not just with the yawning, the pendiculation that everyone talks about in, mm-hmm. in stretching research, but I think it go. It's we're all being, we all have been compressed. We're not moving. I think it's just some, an instinct almost to move just to start moving with uh, expanding your tension network because it's been compressed. The fluids are at rest. Things need to start to move. I think it's a little bit of that. And those, those are my thoughts. I don't, I don't, I can't quote any science on that. And that's okay. That's okay. It, it, it tracks, it tracks. Um, as we go from, you know, being homo sapiens or homo mobilius, is that even a word? Mobilius. Homo mobilius to homo sedentarius, <laughs> particularly in the last year. Um, our natural daily movements have, have all changed and in some places uh, very often gotten even more restrictive, which seems to me to make some form of stretch. And I say this as somebody who was introduced to yoga at a very young age and has done it on and off most of his life. To me, the benefits were obvious. 
but yoga is very different than stretch in the athletic sense, right? Yeah, and I'd like to actually just mention a few things beyond stretching, looking at stretching and injuries. Does it prevent injuries? The evidence seems to say no. Stretching and performance, that's another uh, uh, thing that was looked at over 20 years ago when these studies started really coming out. And they looked at vertical jump and stretching. So they did the static stretching of, let's say, the gastrocnemius, and they said it decreases performance. Yeah, I remember that study, yeah. And they had other studies, and they pretty much looked at the same muscles, and, and they looked at sprinting, um, they looked, some, looked at power movements in sports, and it looked across the board that like it decreased your performance ability so that the, the advice to coaches, and coaches just latched onto this, there's no point in doing that before you are active, before you train, and before certainly before a competitive event. You don't want to decrease performance, don't do stretching before. But slowly over time, it's, it's been evolving into a dynamic stretch, a moving-based stretch, similar to the sport that you're going to engage in or engaging those muscles while you stretch. And that's what, where we have to get into a little bit the definition of stretching. Yeah, let's do that. It's not the static type of stretching in that case that you are advised to do. At Mr. Ath, Mr. Or Miss Athlete, you need to do more movement-based stretching. And that's actually seemed, as more and more studies were uh, focused on dynamics of stretching, it showed an actual improvement in performance. Not always, mm -hmm. but there's enough evidence to show there is an improvement. So the question is what sequences are the best? What parameters are the best? Well, I'm thinking now like Tai Chi for baseball players, Tai Chi for <laughs> hockey players. I mean, it could be its own, you know, and, and of course it would vary if you look at football. It would vary on the position that you play, I would think, if you were going to do dynamic, a routine to warm you up pre-game. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I think Anne can speak on her uh, uh, pre-game stretching where both of us would actually stretch athletes a few hours before they went to a competitive uh, game, as they call it in, in American football. Do you want to speak on that, Anne? So one of the things that I feel is really important to clarify because people don't realize there are basically two nervous systems that we can tap into for what our goal is at hand. And if you're trying to do a recovery or restorative, you're going to be working in the parasympathetic, and it's a down-regulating and a very calming, gentle, undulating sort of um, tempo and, and focus intention. So in the sports paradigm, that would be more of a post-game. That would be that would be post-game. That would be trying to undo what the game does, which is an ongoing adventure. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the pre-game or pre-activity, and that is getting them ramped up in more of the dynamic, sympathetic, uh, loose, but not relaxed minds. Mm. And, and there's a very... There's a huge positive translation to the fact that if they're relaxed just enough but still completely alert, that's the optimal place to be in uh, preparation for activity, not tense, because tension gets in the way of, of um, optimal movement. Well, the phrase that comes to my mind, correct me if this is wrong, is balanced tension. Absolutely. So how do you go about balancing that tension? So the, 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 whole, the whole concept that we have with stretching is in the fascial net, we're trying to balance the um, tension in the net so nothing has too much and nothing has um, too little. So we're trying to equalize it 
and give them that springiness, that explosiveness in their net without the net being soggy. Okay, and you've been working on developing this for how many years now? Um, kind of, I'm thinking we're heading around 30, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that actually started when you were at the University of Arizona? Uh, Arizona State University. Arizona State ASU. University, okay. Yeah, and it was actually a little bit before then, but it's been since the mid-90s. So where did that passion come from to do this? Um, well, the truth of the matter is I had a premonition when I was 11 years old. I was supposed to create something that would blend art and science and give a completely do a new meaning and definition for something that I wasn't exactly sure what it was. And at, um, I had been given an opportunity to be a graduate assistant in the strength and conditioning room at ASU, and I'd gone from teaching dancing to there, so it was a pretty large paradigm shift. Yeah. And I figured out that these athletes weren't moving very well, and I knew movement, and I was studying a kinesiology degree, and I thought, you know what? I bet if I can get movement that makes a transfer to the field, to their activity, this is going to have some big impact. And then I thought, oh, right, I figured out what I'm supposed to do now. Okay, let's get busy and figure it out. And I had the opportunity to work on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of high-level athletes and then Olympic athletes that train at the university and then uh, professional athletes after that. So... I've been in a lab. I was in a laboratory for a decade, figuring out all the nuances of it before I even stepped out into daylight to see what else was going on in the world. And eventually, that evolved into what now is FST or fascial stretch therapy. Correct. Uh, how does this translate to normal people? Well, the way I always frame it is: if what we created was good enough for the best athletes on earth, it certainly could have a positive impact on folks that don't have those kind of demands on their body. So it was a... It's the same body. It's, it's the, same the same nervous system. Pieces. It's the same body, except it's a body that takes a different level of stress because they don't get the outlet of movement mm-hmm. that the athletes do. So it has, um, quite honestly, been astounding to see how many types of things it helps with. It is boggling to me to listen to our students with the success they have in things that don't even remotely seem like it could have impact, but we've heard it hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of times. So what are a few things that come to mind when you say that? Um, uh, One of the things that always is incredible to me is the PTSD that has helped so much. That it's like the trauma gets trapped in the tissue and that talking about it helps, but it doesn't complete. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me because I see that in other other modalities. Certainly even things like acupuncture, but there's that uncompleted movement. Yeah. I didn't run when I should have run. I ran when I should have stayed and fought. And yep, that, yep. that gets stored somehow in a Absolutely. way that we don't completely understand yet. Absolutely. I think the other thing is the spectrum of what we've seen it um, be very effective is anything from chronic pain because things are stuck and not moving and stagnant. Mm-hmm. And then some things that um, oftentimes... Folks show up on the FST practitioner's doorstep after they've been through the whole gamut of traditional and they're the last hope, if you will. Mm -hmm. And because it's outside the box with the way it approaches it and it's a global approach as opposed to a symptomatic local approach, it tends to have a much greater effect. And I think the other piece is that it comes from the listening 
that the mm-hmm. practitioners bring as opposed to um, just taking whatever the diagnosis is and going after the symptomology of it. They're looking more at the human being and the story of the human being. And I, I want to take a, a step aside here for the listener. When Anne's talking about listening, she's not just talking about listening to the narrative of the story and the person and how they got there. That's very important. But it's also on the part of the practitioner listening to the tissue, which seems a little strange, could be a strange way to frame it for something that's a tactile feeling experience. But I remember once working with a patient who was musical, sang in a choir, and at some point in one of the sessions I did with her, she said, you're listening to me. And I said, what? She said, you have that look on your face and in your eyes that people have when they're listening intently to music. And I went, there you go. So that's the kind of listening Anne's talking about as well. Absolutely. And it's, um, it's a skill that we all have. We've got the innate ability. If we are able to ground ourselves enough and clear out the channel to let the sound come through. And like any other skill or talent, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Are you concerned at the way stretch is being commodified? And let me be very clear about that. It's kind of what happened to massage therapy when the franchise model moved into town, which Mm -hmm. most of the top educators in that field did not see coming. And it kind of cheapened the brand as far as I'm concerned. Indeed. And now I'm seeing multiple places offering stretch, uh, other people thinking that they should offer it as part of their mm-hmm. part of their wellness package at their chiropractic wellness center or whatever it is. Um, is. Is that a concern for you, that it's becoming trendy and it's losing something essential to its essence? It's been an interesting thing to have pioneered, like I said, 30, actually it's probably more like 40 years of stretching coming from a professional dance teaching background and when I started it I didn't ever foresee that mega industries turned into a currently just in the US a 22 billion dollar industry it's nuts what's happening so there's a good side and a bad side because it's being it's be there's a obviously it shows there's a huge demand yeah a need for it a yeah. huge need mm-hmm. the challenge with that is is everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and profit from that and that's the part mm-hmm. that is disconcerting but i think there's a flip side because i think is lo- my my premise is as long as no one is getting hurt it's okay when that's injuries start to come in then i'm concerned and i think that's the challenges we've started to hear more and more stories about folks being hurt because oh. because the way they set the franchises up and i understand this is they need to be very um cookie cutter if you will very standardized and very here's the six stretches ten stretches whatever it might be they leave it up to the client to determine how much is too much which is always a precarious choice because the client doesn't truly know or may want more than is good for themselves. Yes, we've all had those people. And Too much is never enough. Absolutely. And and I think the other thing is, is human beings need to be customized and individualized. And when you have a very simple template, you're not addressing a whole lot of what's going to show up. When somebody wants to pay for something, usually there's a need. There's mm-hmm. something that needs to get addressed. 
So I think in the the positive side is our practitioners have had more business when those kinds of shops show up across the street because people seek it out, but they're also seeking out quality. Yeah. And yeah, and those people will migrate over to something and they of a higher quality. Have, and they have. And so that's the good side. The bad side is um, people not having the intention of it being purely about truly helping people. Yeah. It has the dollar sign in front. And that makes me sad because that's something I don't think I ever saw mm-hmm. on the horizon either. Yeah. You're more a do what you love and the money will follow a person. Absolutely. So to those people who like to overdo things and, and I get those people in, in my practice certainly. And I, I always find it easier to sometimes watch, walk them back from the edge mm-hmm. than people who are tentative about trying new things. Um, what's, if somebody is engaging in, in stretching for whatever reason, whether they're, you know, doing yoga at home, rollers, anything, any of those things, um, what are the, what are the signs they should be looking for that, uh, that they're, that they're doing it correctly, that they're not going to run the risk of overdoing it and injuring themselves? I think, uh, with self-stretching one for the practitioner, it's, it's kind of nice to watch someone go through their own self-stretch program as an assessment to see what, how they feel, what they look like and what maybe problems they encounter. And so a couple of things that um, I think there are people who know their body. Uh, mm-hmm. An athlete will pick extreme examples. On one spec, on the end of one spectrum is the athlete who really knows their body. So they know how far to push the tissue. The only thing with that is they may be used to extreme stretching to get results, like martial artists, for instance. What is that sound? Of the, uh, what is that tearing sound? Oh, I'm supposed to stretch until I feel that or hear that tearing sound. Um, yeah. No, uh, we have to be able to, uh, in our field, we need to coach them and guide them about not stretching aggressively. You can actually stretch um, to a point of resistance that doesn't entail pain. And then you actually get better results than if you force the stretch for those who tend to do too intense Stretches, they can tolerate it fine. And there's a fine line between, um, let's say, going further to a uh, more intense stretch, if you will, taking up more tension in the stretch that actually works for the competitive athlete because they do a ballistic kick, Mm -hmm. for instance. So they need to go to that level. Yeah. And then beyond that level, though, it's it's not good for the tissue. It, It starts to erode or tear tissue. So they have to be taught just as just as much as someone who does no stretching, no movement, and they can also go too far, and anyone can go too little. Because if you mm-hmm. do too little and you don't stretch to the point that yields a benefit, you get no benefit, no results. And that's a complaint of a lot of people. I stretched, I stretched, I stretched, and you know what? I still can't do the splits, or I can't touch my toes. I'm never doing splits. <laughs> Not a very functional movement, anyway. And you hear that yeah. a lot with your clients that come in. It's like, well, then you ask yourself as a practitioner, what did they do? Did they not go far enough, A, or B? Did they go too far? And the body rebounded and tightened up again. I often find B, uh, often the case with those who are into running and other things. They, they want results now. They want to get that flexibility. They're comparing themselves to someone else who couldn't touch their toe. And they yeah, can. or they're comparing themselves to themselves 20 years ago. And that's yeah. equally bad. And I find that they go overboard, and when they realize, when we teach them, they, if 
they listen, here we go again, mm -hmm. to what their body's actually telling them and not just count and hold a stretch mm -hmm. and actually oscillate and move just naturally almost where the body wants to move. I encourage my clients to, do you feel your body needs to go in this direction? Maybe it needs to go in that direction. They never thought of that before. They mm -hmm. looked at the book, a, a traditional book of traditional stretching, and they're supposed to, you know, reach for the toes. You don't have to reach for the toes. Everyone's bodies, all muscles are attached differently in people's anatomical variants, right? right? So we try to teach our clients to find the nuances of their body you when can, they stretch. You can wiggle down to get your toes. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be a static we don't, flexion extension. We, we never we go don't, static. We don't move that way. We <clears throat> oscillate through movement. So I think not trying to take that direct path is, is already going to put you at a greater advantage to get there because we have that that oscillatory um, movement is how we get to things. And I think it's a much more um, actual normal, productive way to get there. So when you're working with a person who is less in touch with their body or doesn't quite hears things, feels things, but doesn't quite know how to interpret that, mm -hmm. and certainly I, I see this, and I give them a certain remedial stretch that I want them to do before they come in again. And it's, okay, how long do I hold it for? Yeah. And it's like, no, I want you to have the daily experience of what this is and see how it changes and varies. How do you talk a person through that? So Making I, the shift. I think the greatest gift you can give a human being is the gift of understanding their body. And I think a lot of people check out for various reasons. Pain. Uh, lack of attention, you know, lack of paying attention to it, um, not realizing the importance of it. So I think the greatest gift we can, all us practitioners can do, is give people back the awareness of their body and the the gift of their body to take care of it. So I think it's opening that door to nothing being right or wrong, taking the judgment piece out of it, mm -hmm. taking the rigidity of how many counts you're supposed to do, how many. Our whole thing is listen, back to that word again, to what your body is saying. What is it telling you? Does it want you to take another couple breaths in this area that feels sticky that doesn't want to quite let go yet? Or do I need to shift over to another side? We tend to move into what's called the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And when we start to explore other areas of that, all kinds of things start to regulate and open up. So I think getting them out of that linear mindset of counting, we do everything breath and feel-based. So there's like, if it lets go, go explore another corner. If it doesn't, mm -hmm. just take another couple breaths and don't judge yourself for it. So you're taking me back to uh, my first serious <clears throat> yoga class yoga teacher. She was also a fifth degree black belt mm. uh, named Kate. Kate, if you're out there listening, that was some great years. Thank you again. This was Florida in the 1980s. Uh, an ashram in Deerfield Beach. Go figure. But there it was. And uh, Kate was one of those teachers, and I don't see that so much in yoga anymore. But uh, she worked from, you know how it is, the, the first time you're really diving deeply with the teacher you connect with, you assume, well, everybody does it this way because this is the awesome way. Um, she, she had a value that if there's something in the post that you're in that you're really getting benefit from and we're moving on, you can stay where you are. It's okay. And just catch up with us when you're ready. But but she made space for that experience and just put lip service to it. And I can always remember it was every Monday night 
at 7 o'clock to 8.30. And I was in some kind of folded, seated, twisted pose. And I was just aware of what I now know was my quadratus lumborum, my transversus abdominis. But at the time, all I know, all I knew was there was stuckness, there was breath, and there was my body. And the more I stayed there and the more I used my breath, yep. the more that space would open. And that was all that existed in that moment in time. And it's like, oh my God, I just want to stay here for as long as possible and, and explore this. Absolutely, because that is what it's about. So God bless your first teacher, because spot on with how you can succeed and feel empowered as opposed to disempowered. And that's my my argument with anything that has that judgment attached when it's an individual journey. Nobody's got the right to judge that. Right, because nobody is you. Exactly, and that's... that's um, it's a lovely gift to give someone, mm -hmm. and it's not right or wrong, it just is. Yeah, I love it when somebody comes in and says, I didn't do my homework last week. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's fine. You know, I don't, always, I don't always do the things for me every day either. Life sometimes gets in our way. Thank you for being honest. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Or you see them stretching on their car before they come into their appointment. Cause they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always tell people, I'd rather have you do it two minutes a day for five days than do it for 20 minutes on one day. <laughs> Absolutely. As soon as you get, before you get in here. Yeah, and then most people, yeah, most people, most people can find two minutes. It's not that. Yeah, that's... Set, set the timer on your phone so you don't think about it and, and just be there. Mm -hmm. Just be there. When people think of stretching, I think based on one's experience of their body, they tend to think of very specific things like, oh, stretching is yoga or stretching is that, oh, I reached back in my car and I got a cramp and I'm never doing that again. But stretch is actually essential to our well-being on a cellular level. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, Chris, that's you. Well, I think it goes back to the baseline of uh, humans having a baseline tension at rest. You know, some in the past may have called that the anti-gravity muscles to keep you upright, to prevent you from falling down. Mm -hmm. But part of that, if your anti-gravity muscles or your extensors, let's say... The slow twitch. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, if they're keeping you upright, even just sitting in a chair and your back is off the back of the chair such that your muscles have to, let's say, hold, you, hold yourself up, there has to be some... Uh, there's an activation of tension in the body, and if you let it go, you collapse. It's a very simple thing we can all visualize. And so um, the, the t it's, it's going back to the balance of the tension. And uh, what, what comes to mind is Helene Langevin and her studies and uh, Paul Stanley and his studies. Uh, speaking to, to, the, to the studies of Paul Stanley that he did are more closely related to the cellular, uh, the cytoskeleton and the cell, the effects of stretching on the cell. So... Uh, I think that there was really one study that we like to quote um, that is based on repetitive uh, strain, right? Which uh, a lot of people have, let's say, with carpal tunnel uh, syndrome and other things, the, the repetitive strain in the body. He tried to reproduce that with his team of researchers on the cell in, in the Petri dish mm -hmm. and uh, studied the effects of uh, repetitive movement causing apoptosis, which is the cell death, the death of a cell. And then they tried to simulate an osteopathic 
what they uh, looked at as an osteopathic move, but it's a move uh, found on different manual therapies of basically a myofascial stretch of the cell, and it restored. Uh, it was about to die, and it actually came back to life. So there's something about stretching that can undo the strain, if you will, on the tensional network. That's part of the or undo the decay from the repetitive strain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the, if you want to think back of human, based on human tensional network, getting out of balance. It's being strained in a localized area, let's say, um, pre, you know, like you said, before it starts to die, it's starting to maybe tear or break apart. And you can just restore, you can restore that with, uh, let's say, myofascial release. So um, there are cellular effects. We have lots of research about how uh, the, the mechanotransduction effect. It goes all the way down to the nucleus. There are studies by Stanley and Langevin and others that, that show that. So I think we can substantiate the effects on, on, on the cell from stretching it and, of course, other uh, modalities. So somebody out there listening right now is thinking, this sounds great. I need to move more. I need to stretch more. Where should I start? Um, I think... The self-exploration is a great place, and I think you need to find um, what resonates with you. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, just just as a, as a simple example, I think we've got, like, the core four on YouTube, which is open to the public, which is just kind of a nice, yeah. simple... We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Um, I, I think it's a matter of being... Um, exploring and figuring out do you need a group to do it with? Do you want to do it on your own? Do you want a practitioner to do it for you? I think finding out where it is that you need to get started um, is is an important thing because I think it, it it's interesting with what's gone on in the last year, year and a half. Um, the need for stretching has exponentially increased. Mm-hmm. It's been wild to see like our practitioners are busier than they've ever been in their entire life because of it. Absolutely. And so that piece is a weird uh, paradox with what is happening. There's been a flip side for those of us in the healing arts that are busier than we've ever been because people are desperately needing touch and contact and movement. Um, Do you have anything to add? Yeah. Well, to your point, to the question of where should they start, Mm -hmm. um, I think there are some people that would benefit from seeing basically a stretch a person who specializes in assisted stretching because if they just go out and take a you know let's they'll just take any yoga class or any stretch class it's not necessarily the best thing for them Mm -hmm. right even though it might be a good good class for some people might not be good for this person they may even hurt themselves those people need to see someone who does assisted stretching on a daily basis so they can be assessed and safely guided through a beginner program at stretching. Now you come to the question of, are they going to be instructed in traditional stretching, which is more static hold-based stretching, or are they going to have more of a fluid fluid or flow, flowing motion? So I recommend listeners, if, uh, if you're new to this or if you're looking for something where to start, look for something where they're moving in a very gentle, it's almost like the breeze is blowing, you know, the, the tall grasses of the prairies back and forth. Mm-hmm. That's really how we move in uh, stretch to win. We have that slow oscillatory move and it's, it's this flow yoga and this flow this and flow that. So anything with a flow is better as long as it's not too fast, too intense. Yeah. 
I would say that would be a good place to start. And uh, yeah, check out the core four in the show notes. I think this is great because starting with the core, that that's the thing. You don't necessarily start with your hamstring. <laughs> yes. No, but many people want you to start with their that's hamstring. True. Yeah, that's the point here. Be alerted. Yeah, and it's like, okay, it's tight. But why is it tight? Let's figure that out first. And, and listeners, if you don't know, your, your sciatic nerve will go along with the hamstring anytime you target that hamstring. Not a good place to start for a lot of beginners. So um, I recommend starting with the core. So if you're looking for something, we, we do something called the core four on the floor, self, self-guided. And you can take yourself and actually feel imbalances. You, you do one side as an assessment. This is what's different too. You need a self-assessment. How can you assess yourself so that you know how to do a little corrective work? So what we like to do is try one side in this one position movement. Try the other side. Oh, one side's tighter. Let's try to then, let's think about the imbalance. You have one side that's significantly tighter than the other. Let's start with the tight side. Let's do the opposite side opposite side and let's go back and do the uh, tighter side again so you get at least initially a two to one ratio and then at the end of the core four retest everything and you can always fit in another few reps exactly where you need it in the four key uh, myofascial areas that we address and do a couple more reps and you feel like you've done more balance work not just stretching you know where it's the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. and what you want to stretch you discover Actually, it's a self-discovery and a self-accountability and responsibility that you can actually have a say in how to individualize this experience as opposed to just letting someone do it to you all the time or being confused. And I think that's excellent advice. And we're running down on time now, so I think that's a good place to to wrap this up. So those of you listening now who are curious, you you have your marching orders now or your flowing orders now because marching is, is kind of a... Not the best movement, probably, for human beings. So you can go to the show notes and uh, find those links to the core four. Try them out for yourself. And uh, before we wrap things up today, anything else you want to add, Anne or Chris? Just thank you for the opportunity. It was lovely to have you come play with us this week. And um, it's a beautiful gift to give the world of movement and hope and some freedom in a world that gets crazier every single day we're here. (laughs) True freedom comes from within. Yes. (laughs) And if you're not already doing something like this, just give yourself a few extra minutes, even if you're out to go into rush hour, commuting traffic and whatnot. Spend a few minutes to just center yourself and breathe as you move and wiggle yourself, if you will, gently through the movements uh, even if you just stand and do pelvic circles and just do circular type of movements, it does a world of good to mobilize everything from the fluids to the fascia to the to the muscles in the fascia, and it just wakes the body up in a very nice, gentle way to set up your day. And, and you made me think of something else, Chris, and earlier, and you were talking about this how. Uh, practitioners in the healing arts of all stripes have a lot more demand on them now than they've ever had. So practitioners out there, remember to take a little extra time to take better care of yourself. Treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. Okay. Chris, Ann, thanks for coming on the show today and love to have you back sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Body Talk. Any questions, questions for me, questions for our guest, send me an email. 
bodytalkdavid at gmail.com or you can use the Anchor app and send me a voice memo. How cool is that? I'm David Lasondak. Join me next week when we continue to explore your inner universe on Body Talk.